Why Racism Will Never End Race in America Part 5 On the Theo Keeps Talking Podcast My name is Theo Welcome to the conclusion of the Race in America series A multi-part series highlighting historical and continued systemic racism in America Through the lens of police brutality Historical teaching of racism through revisionist history financial racism, and racism on a social level. Combining as many resources as I can, as much research as I can, as much fact-checking as I can, I can confidently say that, considering everything we've covered, that racism will never end. I know that's a big statement. I know that's the type of clickbait sensationalist headline that gets people riled up on social media but i really do mean it from everything we've analyzed from the historic implications of government legislation i'm confident in the conclusion that i've come to i believe that this is the one that's all i gotta say This is the one. This feels like my dissertation, you know. This is the culmination of the best project that I've ever done. The most passionate I've been about anything I've ever created. I want to share some good news before we start. A member of the George Floyd family, George Floyd, who was tragically taken from us earlier this year, a family member reached out to me and asked if their foundation could use my TED Talk to be presented to younger kids and teenagers in their youth program as a sort of educational and motivational piece for them. I said yes. I shared all my information with them, and there could also be a possibility, an opportunity for me to create content for that for their foundation in the future as well. I mean, I was really excited to hear that I could share my message to help someone else out in their journey and really just hearing that made me feel so happy. I feel like that's what all this is about, you know, that me sharing isn't just so I feel better about myself, but if I could help one person learn more or take the next step in their own understanding, then I've done my job. So some really good news. I know that if you've listened to these episodes before, there isn't much positivity involved. But yeah, I just wanted to share that. And I'm really thankful for the opportunities that I've had. And I'll keep doing my best to represent myself and um, as many people as I can, as well as I can for the foreseeable future. So to the main topic, I am planting my flag. I am putting my foot down on the stance that racism will never go away. Why? I have the main reasons written down listed as to why I have that opinion. Let's get into the first reason. The first reason why racism will never end is that it's systemic. I spent the first four episodes of the podcast building this reason up. But those are long and attention spans are short. I get it. So let's do a bit of a recap exercise. So if you haven't listened to any of the prior parts of the podcast and you listen to this one, you can be just as informed as to why this is so important to me. If you have listened, I think that up to this point, you have a really clear answer to the following question. Why does everything have to be about race? Because every aspect of our lives has been thoroughly dictated by race to this very moment. (laughs) I mean, hello. 
I feel like I've provided us a set of answers that will define how many race-related questions you can have automatic responses to. Examples. Question one. Why do people want to defund the police? My answer. The police are a thoroughly funded institution that has shown historic discrimination against people of color due to systemic racism. Black Americans have been killed at a rate of 2.8 times higher than their white counterparts when factoring in population counts in the United States. In these same situations, Black Americans have shown to be unarmed 14.8% of the time compared to 9.4% of the time compared to their white counterparts. In addition, the police have reported, repeatedly shown that they are unfit to respond to nonviolent distress calls regarding mental health. Nonprofit organizations such as Cahoots in Oregon have shown that they are both effective at de-escalating mental health distress calls and cost-reducing for the taxpayers of Oregon. Question two. What about black-on-black crime? My answer. Black-on-black crime is nowhere near an accurate representation as to why black Americans deserve equal treatment under the law. Systemic internal problems due to years of financial racism due to local governments and politicians taking advantage of at-risk communities has led to increased desperation in communities of color. Historically, due to racist practices such as redlining, minority groups more often live together due to being unable to live in other areas due to their race. Desperation breeds crime. Crime is not inherent to one people group or another. Crime is about lack of resources to sustain living. To reiterate, yes, Black American homicide rates against other black Americans is at 93%. However, white American homicide rates against other white Americans is at 84%. Nothing to write home about. In addition, for the assailants of black homicides, we are all certain that those individuals go to jail. The same cannot be said about police officers who kill black Americans. Nearly all police officers in high-profile killings of unarmed black Americans are acquitted due to qualified immunity and the work of police unions. This generates a feeling that police officers can kill black Americans at any point in time, claim self-defense, and not only avoid jail time, but continue their careers within the same year. Question slash claim number three. They should protest peacefully. My answer. Then you wouldn't hear about it because you don't care. If you feel like there is a line that can be crossed in terms of protesting someone being killed, then you'll never be satisfied. People who say this will never be comfortable with whatever form of protest angry people choose. A Pew Research study during the 1960s civil rights movement showed that 42% of all Americans believed that the federal government was, quote, moving too fast in guaranteeing Negro voting rights and the rights of Negroes to be served in public places such as restaurants, hotels, and theaters. Think of it like that. Nearly half the country, during one of the most important times in American history for racial equality, believed that the federal government was moving too fast in ensuring that black people could be served at restaurants, let alone vote. Remember, this was the civil rights movement. 42% of surveyed individuals. Nah, they're moving too fast. People like that would be satisfied with nothing. You sound like those people. 
question slash claim number four. Why did they have to burn that? My multi-part answer. Anger. Systemic inequality breeds anger. Someone in your community looking like you being killed with no justice will only ignite the stored up pain no government has ever successfully fixed. I mean, did you see what happened in Philadelphia after the Super Bowl? Why did they burn that stuff? Penn State burns things on their campus after football games. Why do they do that? Depending on what the protest is for, people just don't care. Also, the non-peaceful protests caught your attention, didn't it? In Hong Kong, the demonstrations caught your attention. Then you did your due diligence and research, and then you understood. The Chinese Republic was reducing the freedoms of the, to the people of Hong Kong. But for some reason, the same courtesies aren't extended to black people because you think the police and other United States institutions cannot do wrongs similar to how the Chinese government has wronged the people of Hong Kong. Your bias is showing. Question slash claim number five. What about the inner city problems or whatever? My exasperated answer. No political party has ever fixed the systemic issues of any of the city's people that you would define as problem areas. It's all about resources. The key five resources to stimulate sustainability in any geographical location are mental health services, food, hospitals, schools, and houses. If you combine all of those places together, it has a really, really good name. It's called a suburb. And political parties do know this. When the ruling majority white parties coming fresh off the Civil War over the ability to own black people as property, they made sure that all of the things listed in the key five resources, if black communities owned them, that they had worse versions of them. That's what Jim Crow laws were for. Separate but equal versions of everything I listed to stifle the growth and development of black communities. It's a really simple thought process. If someone who wasn't allowed to go to school tries to open a school, how long is it before you have a school full of people who have been educated before? If that, if that, those processes, like in 1957, the first integrated school, if you're, if that is the first time that a group of black people would have sufficiently adequate education, how long do you th think those ramifications last? It was less than 10 people, I believe, that went to the first integrated school in 1957. That's under 100 years ago. That's a couple of generations ago. Don't blame the people who have been f who've been given these situations blame the people who put them in place claim number 6 america isn't racist my answer after the end of the civil war in 1865 over the southern half of the united states becoming so enraged over their proposed inability to own black people as property, the United States became the worst version to black people of what Great Britain was to the white colonists. Taxation without representation, no voting rights, no ability to choose where free black people could work, no choice over where they could attend schools, 
no ability to choose where black people could live. Black communities were given unkempt, unfunded facilities and institutions to hope to build something for themselves, only for the federal government to not allow them to vote on how legislation could help them improve their own communities. For some very, very good scale here, I understand that, you know, oh my goodness, it's all in the past and oh, it's just in black and white. It was just so long ago, right? Let's just do it like this. Think of any model car, like an antique car. That antique car was probably, probably around when some of these stuff that I'm talking about was happening, right? If you want to do it sports-wise, like just some sports concepts, right? Jim Brown, who is still alive, fought all of these fights that I'm listing right now from the early 1900s pre and all the way through, right? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, MLK's not, he wasn't super duper old, right? The 1960s, which is a time period we're getting into, the civil rights movement, 1964. My father was born before 1964. This wasn't that long ago. We have to stop treating it like this. I know it's like, oh, 100 years ago, but think of it like this. Only 100 years after the Civil War were black people nationwide allowed to vote. The Civil War was over. Over. And for 100 years, black people were unable to determine how they wanted their future to be constructed by voting. Unbelievable. Claim I've heard, and let's just get, let's just do this, get this one out the way. Number seven, why don't black people just work harder for what they want? In 1898, a white mob staged the first and only successful coup on American soil when they overthrew a pro-black governmental body and dismantled a pro-black city and economy in Wilmington, North Carolina. In 1921, a white mob burned down an area in Oklahoma known as Black Wall Street. The National Guard did not assist them. The news did not publish the story. Beginning in 1930, the new Federal Housing Administration made it so that homes in black areas received less federal funding. Black homeowners were not granted mortgage leniency or compounded interest to the value of their homes like their white counterparts. This was known as redlining. From 1960 to 1988, the campaigns titled The War on Crime and War on Drugs turned public dissent against civil rights activists, black communities, and enforced penalties on for black Americans at 100 times the punishment index for a white counterpart who committed a similar crime. Suffice that to say, TLDR, why don't black people just work harder for what they want? Because the government keeps taking it away. We work as hard as humanly possible. The government just takes it away. Last one. Last flat claim, right? Well, racism is gone today now, right? The racial wealth gap shows that families of color are disproportionately affected by economic crises and less likely to have generational income to lean on. Families of color were disproportionately affected by the 2007 housing market crash, leaving many families to default on their predatory loans, leaving their homes foreclosed and their average wealth numbers to plummet compared to white families. In addition, those families were the subject of as much public ire as humanly possible because they were the victims of predatory lending and the companies who did so nearly merely played settlements just to get out of the mess in addition people of color are more likely to work in person 
shift style type jobs, thus making them at higher risk of contracting COVID-19. So additional carelessness by not wearing masks, continuing to ignore social distancing measures is affecting minorities at a high rate due to asymptomatic transmission of COVID-19. When the country is at its most vulnerable, people of color are at the highest risk. And that is exactly how America was designed to be. So to reduce the negative impacts of racism, it will take a very, very, very long time. I think that's it for all the quick hitter questions I can think of. If you've heard and understood these points, you're solid for almost 85% of all high-level race relations questions that I've heard from the past year. If you still have lingering questions, I will gladly field any questions you have. You can always ask me. I promise I'm open to any two-way conversation about race. We have now addressed that racism is systemic. No one person can change it. No one administration can change it. Now, I want to get into the remaining reasons. I'd like to call them the six categories. The full title is the six categories of people who are hurdles to racial equality. There is a distinction here. I don't believe that everyone who falls into these categories are racist, but they all stifle the progress of racial equality, whether intentionally or not. Category number one of the six categories of people who are hurdles to racial equality. Category one. Overt racism. I don't think this one leaves too much room to the imagination, you know. Overt racism includes the mindset that certain people groups are entirely better than others. These people have pride in hate symbols. Public display of hate symbols. So white supremacy, white supremacy. Nazism, the whole nine yards. Really simple. The next two are kind of similar. It was hard splitting them, but I think you'll get why. I think you'll get why. And it's hard because they say such similar things, right? So category two, overt racism was one. Category two, subtle racism. I also devised that the heavy majority of the people in the six categories are in the next two groups. So group two, subtle racism. These are the microaggressions. Oh my gosh, you speak so well. Only thinking of other people and stereotypes. Tell black people what they're doing wrong, but come up with no concrete solution to help. Yes, slavery is bad, but I still don't feel comfortable living around black people. Yeah. The Africa is a country people. Oh, and this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know this insert race here. I know this Asian guy. He said it's it's cool for me to say that. Oh, no, no, no. I, I know this black guy. He said it was cool for me to say that. Oh, and they have no problem voicing their opinions on every single protest that happens, but never focusing on whoever died. It's all about law and order. It's all about upholding the normalcy of life think of it like this right the people in this category are so unbothered by when someone dies because it 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 bothers the, it actually excuse me let me rephrase it it bothers them because their life isn't peaceful anymore 
That's where it bothers them. It bothers them not that someone's dead. It bothers them that something's on fire. It makes them uncomfy or people are protesting. It makes them unsettled and they're unhappy because their normal unbothered way or way of life because they have nothing to deal with they have no discrimination to deal with they they probably have 16,000 trust funds you know the, those are the people that really really fit into this category like they're they're so uncomfortable being uncomfortable right so anything civil rights related they're like oh my god turn that off please the set the the third group the the second side of the coin i would say to the subtle racist group they're really similar group three right the on the fence people and i think like the second most people are here it was hard separating the two because they say very very similar things right but i think you'll start noticing what i'm how i split it out right this group is the oh i'm not i'm not ready for that conversation yet kind of people the oh can we not talk about it right now the oh but there's always two sides to it oh i can't be racist because i have a black friend i think let's, let's break that one down let's let's really break that one down the reason why saying i can't be this because i have this is problematic is because if that person wasn't your friend, would you care about their improvement in society from a financial safety and educational standpoint? Would you give them the same benefit of doubt you'd give your friend if they were in that same compromising situation, right? Let's just say that person of color does something wrong, right? or however you view it, they're in trouble in some capacity and they are, you know, you don't know them, right? Would you give them the same benefit of the doubt as your one black friend if they were in that same situation, right? If you don't, that's where, then you belong in this category, right? You are stifling racial progress in this country, right? If you say this and you do like in your heart of hearts, actually like you do, you really aren't racist, I would highly suggest getting a different thing to say. We're all we're all big kids now. Let's let's uh <laughs> you, there's better ways to say it because if you say this to like other, you know, non-woke people, I don't know how to describe it. Other non-racially intelligent people just like oh yeah this can't be because i had this and they'll just take it and laugh and ha 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 and talk about like there's 16 mansions or something like that if you say it like that those people obviously won't press you because they'll be like of course that sounds so right but if you say it around other you know socially conscious individuals with you know and a below average size 401k because you know i'm 23 years old um i would suggest that you you relocate your your faith all right that sentence is not good enough (laughs) um another thing that this group the on the fence people the the one other thing they try to do is really funny right yes mlk is my favorite person of all time but i don't think people today are handling uh these things the right way what we got this really, really big rift in our historical society that MLK and Malcolm X were like two drastically different individuals. So people just like take the like if you if you go to an MLK supporter, but all, they're also opposed to right now, they'll be like, oh, my God, but Malcolm X, what a ruffian, you know what I'm saying? But if you saw what happened at the protest that MLK would orchestrate, you would be like, oh, Malcolm X did this. I'm like, no, that happened. That's something MLK organized, (laughs) you know? And I'm just like, you gotta, you gotta actually read about these kinds of things. Okay. For these people, the on the fence people, there's always an excuse. That's what I'm trying to hammer at here. There's always an excuse for them to not agree with you. You know where you can find these people 
in mass, like the subtle racist people and the on the fence people, there's one place they're always at, no matter what. They're always here, right? Facebook.com. All over Facebook. All over Facebook. Oh, my goodness. They are like, <laughs> Theo, you might have given a TED Talk on this exact reason. But I watched this one thing on Fox News. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm not here to credentials flex, but let's stop. All right. <laughs> don't do not do this. All right. I'm not this. I know I'm not here to embarrass nobody. This is supposed to be public discourse. But one of my old fourth grade teacher came at both me and my girlfriend sideways on Facebook when we were just voicing our thoughts on something. And obviously, I'm not going to BS y'all. Right. That's just not how it is. And I'm not going to BS anyone on Facebook. I was talking about how I felt in America. Right. There, there weren't really many facts involved. It was really just me expressing how I felt. And my fourth grade teacher comes in out of left field saying some, Theo, I think you just got to understand that these police officers are people, too. And I'm just like. Huh? <laughs> and I was I, I just liked it. I literally liked it because I didn't have the time to try and usher up a 10 minute long diss track for my fourth grade English teacher. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just wasn't worth it. You know what I mean? I was like, stop. <laughs> you know, you're not here. I didn't ask you to like poo poo on my feelings. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't even out here saying something like, man, we should take their money away. I was just saying like, hey, this is how the Baltimore police, one of the most corrupt institutions in modern America, uh, makes me feel. <laughs> and she just came in like, well, I, I actually and I'm like, OK. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So we've been through the first three overt racism, subtle racism and the on the fence people. Right. This one's long. This, this next one is long, and it's because you don't hear it talked about as much. So let me hit a little water break, just a quick one, and we're going to get into it. That water break is brought to you by absolutely no one. I am not sponsored, but if I had to say anything, Aquapana is just the greatest water of all time. Thank you. So, group four. Internalized racism. Internalized racism. This is this is literally never covered on like TV. Ever, ever, ever. You hear about it sometimes from like Twitter, but you don't really hear about it on TV. Here's what it is. Internalized racism shows itself in numerous ways, but the number one way is the pick me way right an example being when minority populations leapfrog over the obvious systemic problems america upholds against people of color because they themselves didn't go through it there are many many black people that i have seen say that racism doesn't exist because they haven't experienced it before. This happens when immigrants shame other immigrants for becoming citizens the, quote, wrong way, when we all know it's an incredibly lengthy, arduous, and often hopeless process for people trying to save their families' lives. This happens when Black people publicly vilify aspects of the black community to appease to non-black Americans. These people are dangerous because they appeal very, very well to racists and make them feel comfortable being racist. It's like, well, if I hate this about black people and this niche group of black people completely agree with me, I can't be wrong. I have a term, term I'm going to put out there, and I've said this multiple times over the course of the year, but it's going into the podcast, you know, it's getting tucked away. 
in my intellectual property, right? Oppressor apologists. We're still under internalized racism. Oppressor apologists. My definition. When someone in the afflicted group sides with the power group as an attempt to gain credibility from the power group, either from personal affiliation to the assailant or belief that siding with the assailant will protect them. I know that sounded like a bunch of words for something I came up with, and I think oppressor apologist just might be my own term. I don't know. Merriam-Webster, hit me up. All right. I can make it sound really simple. I'm, I'm also going to put this out there that th the next few phrases may be a little uncomfortable. I'm just putting that out there, okay? But I can make it sound really simple. Why doesn't she just wear more clothes? She shouldn't have gotten drunk. She should have known what she was wearing. That, that, is that jogging your memory? Sorry, I have a few more. He should have just listened to what the officer said. He shouldn't have had his hood up. He should have just followed instructions better. Make sense now? The blame, the burden isn't getting placed on the people who did the who the power group who did what's wrong. It's always on the victim. Oppressor apologists. When and it and it, and it happens in such strange ways. Like when when other people cape for people who commit acts of sexual assault, how can people defend those people? And that's both ways, both genders. I don't understand how women who can just openly defend men against their friends who do that to someone. I can't and. I can't see how guys can openly blame the girl and not reprimand the guy. What? Same thing with police matters. When black people put the burden on the person who was killed instead of the police. What? When other people of color do it too. Unbelievable. Can't you see that won't save you? There was this there was this video. All right, this oof. <laughs> oh man, this is this one's going to be this one's going to be tough. So, there was this video one of my friends sent me. It was from this company or whatever called PragerU, P R A G E R U. And he had said that his friend sent it to him. In the midst of the civil rights demonstrations this year, his friend sent it to him as their reasoning as to why they don't think that black lives matter. So that's that's the ammo here. That's the that's the context of this video. Right. My friend who isn't black, but also my friend, they, you know, great guy. Right. Completely agrees with me on everything. Right most things but anyway he's cute so the point is that his friend sent this to him to uphold their reasoning as to why they believe that black lives don't matter that's the context okay it started the video started with a group of black men Attacking the Black Lives Matter movement with some largely baseless claims, preceded by a black man illustrating the, quote, five main things facing blacks in America. And the entire time through this eight minute video, I was just seething. <laughs> I was rolling my eyes so hard it was starting to hurt. 
right? His premise was that there are five issues in the black community, which true or untrue was completely inappropriate for him to do. Why? Because it's basically just fodder. All of the top comments, which, you know, are from people that would never get a cup of coffee with me. uh, They were like, wow, I needed this. Wow, I can't wait to show my family this. Oh, the libs don't want to talk about this. Wow, it serves black people right. Like, these are the top comments, right? None of them were from black people. Some of the, you know, comments were, but they they were geared towards a certain demographic, a certain mindset, right? So it's clear that those people just needed that one video to affix themselves and plant themselves more firmly in their racist stances. Oh, and the cherry on top of that ignorant pie was that I would consider all of those issues internal, internal black community issues, right? But that's exactly why the video is so dangerous. Internal problems should never disqualify people who want equal protection under the law as American citizens. But their audience was just foaming at the mouth who were ready to have any reason to turn their ears off towards the many black people and people of color who are crying out for equality this year. I mean, that absolute cow manure laced video had the audacity to say that baby mamas are a reason why the black community isn't where it needs to be right now. Huh? What does being killed by the police have to do with that? What does centuries worth of legislative racism have to do with that? He even brought up that 1% number of white on black homicide rates, but completely left out that those people don't get arrested. But that 90 plus percent number of black on black homicides the like these social terrorists love using against us he was all over that it was all throughout that section of the video and of course he left out the context that those people actually go to jail because if there's anything we know if a black person does anything wrong they are certainly going to jail All right. There was this super unfortunate story that took place recently, right? There was an unarmed black man who was pro-police on all of his social media. Pro-police, right? He was pulled over. He thought that if he just acted however he wanted, since he was pro-police... Nothing would happen to him. He was shot and killed in that very altercation. Because he wasn't careful enough with his movements. He didn't follow instructions clearly enough for them. Let that be the telling story. They do not care if you like them. They are afraid of you because of the way you look, not what you think. And that's just how it is. The next group. Group five, category five of the six. Group five. The opportunists. What I mean is people who pray on opportunities to make themselves look woke for the benefit of themselves. This comes in the form of social justice marketing, performative activism, right? The Black Lives Matter sign outside their building or on their website, posting that black square on Instagram. But are you donating anything? Are you learning about the reasons why all of these incidents occurred? 
are you still going out and and reducing the chance of you being safe from COVID because people of color are disproportionately affected by COVID? No, you're not doing any of those things. Then sit down somewhere. These people profit off of black suffering by promoting their brands, books, and clothing in times of crisis, right? The best example I can think of is Sean King, right? He comes up with a new coalition, a new project, a new opportunity for black people every time a national tragedy happened just so he can remain relevant. He never comes through on those. They never they never amount to anything. They never come to full fruition. It's just a new project every time to rouse people up, show that he's a supporter of our side. No, he's just preying on us. Politicians do this all the time. It's Black Lives Matter. It's I'll take a knee with you until it's time to pass legislation to increase community programs. Until it's time to improve schools in predominantly black areas. It's Black Lives Matter until HBCUs get less and less funding each year because you want a new mall. It's Black Lives Matter until the city of Baltimore spends nearly $30 million on new correctional facilities, but not new parks and recreation or school improvement, or paying teachers, or after-school programs, or affordable housing. Nope. None of that. Last group. The sixth group. Apathy. I mean this in the most literal sense possible. They do not care. They do not care that people of color are dying at elevated rates due to COVID-19. That brunch is far too important. That birthday party just has to happen. They do not care that people of color are being killed by the police at disproportionate rates in America. They do not care about international issues like Hong Kong or SARS in Nigeria. They do not care about any of that. Their world is simply about them. I've seen this question a lot on Twitter. It's been it's a very common re- retweet and repost, clout steal, retweet again, right? How can you tell someone that they need to care about someone else? I think that's the real question this year. That's I think that's the most important question of 2020. How can you tell someone that they need to care about someone else? Question of the year. You can't. They have to on their own. Their entire world revolves around them and people who look just like them. Their self-interest is better than the greater good. And it's selfish. It's very, very selfish. I'll be transparent about this. I can talk. I think I can talk about this. I tried to have a conversation this year with someone I thought was close to me about race in general. The starting point of the conversation was white privilege, which is basically the ability to not care about race issues in America because they do not negatively impact you in any substantial way. That is a very rough definition, but we were just trying to warm up the conversation by talking about white privilege and then branch into other topics. Approximately 45 minutes later, we had gotten nowhere. This person was so fixed on the fact that they couldn't be racist and that they couldn't have white privilege that they didn't even listen to me. Now, my kind, endearing listeners, you know that there are times I can get caught up 
emotionally and how frustrating some of this information can be. But I do my very, very best to be fair, to be transparent, to be thorough with my fact checking. But me getting completely tuned out in that moment was like a slap in the face. I do my research. I do my due diligence. But that conversation, that moment had me realize if I can't do this with someone who already knows me, it's impossible. Someone like me who prides themselves on deep explanations and good expression of thoughts and ideas and proper terminology and pace and intonation got completely brick-walled by someone who just didn't want to hear it. Someone who proclaims they care about me threw away all the things I had to say. It was one of the lowest single moments of my life. And it happened a couple of months ago. And to those reasons, the systemic racism, the multiple kinds of people, the overt racists, the subtle racists, the -the on-the-fence people, the internalized racism, the opportunistic racism, and the apathy, to all those reasons, in their entirety, I can conclude that racism will never go away. Thank you so much for listening to my completed Race in America series. I am thoroughly proud of the work I've put in for this podcast. I really appreciate anyone who tuned in for even 30 seconds. You know, I would say the most important thing, if you take anything out of what I've said, is to keep learning. I shouldn't be the final source for all of the things I've talked about. I want everyone, if they feel skeptical about anything I said, to ask me, to ask someone else, to do personal research about it. If I got all my information from the same places, I would have never gotten to this level of understanding. I think that Everyone can do better in every aspect of race relations. I still have a lot to learn myself, and I want to continuously learn and be willing to listen as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a good day. Please stay safe, and I hope to catch you next time.